Hi, this is Monsters of Talk. I'm Margaret Cho. I'm here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Jim Short. Hey, um, Jim, we're in New York City. Oh, you can hear the taxis. You can hear the taxis outside, the horns, the car horns. The honking. And ho- I love how one starts and then everyone else honks. It's like it's like dogs. Mm-hmm. Like the other ones hear it and they go, yeah, beep, beep too. I'm, I'm in with you on that. <laughs> You're not the only one. They want to like chime in. Yeah. You know, and it can get a bit, I, I don't know, like I think it can get overwhelming, the sound. Mm. Because you just are like, oh God, I wish it would just be quiet. And... Maybe after, if, you were, if you're here for a long time, you sort of learn to fade, uh, fade it down or tune it out. Yeah, you just sort of block it where you just go, oh, if like your friends come in and go, holy shit, it's loud. And you're like, huh? oh, yeah, it is. It's like a smell. Yeah. You can't smell it in your house. You can't smell it any, but, you know, anymore, but everybody else can. But the sound to me, it's pretty loud, especially down here. We're in the middle of um, Midtown. Yeah. And it's loud and it's busy and... But I think New Yorkers, they just can't hear anymore. And they don't see anymore. They have to block a, a certain measure of sensory perception out. Well, it, it, it's, it's noisy and you produce a lot of noise, too, if you live here. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of... It's a, I noticed when I, when I visited before, when you go into like a, a little market or a store, people would come in and announce what they're there for. I'm here for a sandwich. <laughs> people say what they're there for. Yeah. I need some gum. And you're like, oh, am I supposed to announce what I'm doing here? <laughs> am I supposed to walk in and tell you? Because it, 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 it's very, I think people just talk. They just say stuff out loud. Yeah, really loudly. And, um, but, you know, it's, it's part of the city. I think it's, it's definitely beautiful and charming. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you're here, you just feel like when we were up, we were up by um, Central Park today and it really felt like uh, the odd couple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The beginning of the odd couple. Yeah. Because it seemed like they were up kind of where we were. Right. Up by Central Park. Sort of upper west side. Sort of, were they upper west side? I maybe? believe yeah. they were upper west side. They weren't yeah. downtown or no. people. They were upper west side. What was it? Oscar Madison was a sports writer. Mm-hmm. What was. Oh, what what was did Felix, Felix do? Felix was just. Gay. Just gay. <laughs> was he gay? It was the undercurrent was that he was gay, right? He was a straight man. I believe because was but wasn't he in a marriage and then he was kicked out of his marriage on November the fifteenth. Um, Felix Unger's wife, Felix Unger, was asked to leave his apartment. This request was made by his wife. Maybe she caught, but they never said why. They never said Maybe why. Maybe she caught him in bed with another bloke. It doesn't seem. They never, they never said. Was, is Tony Randall gay? Is he? Is he dead? I don't think he was gay though. But he, he did that. Remember, he did that show, Love Sydney, in yes. the eighties, and yes. the and the under theme of that, which was never spoken, is that mm-hmm. he was a gay man, right? But it was never said out loud, right? Right. It was never because I think I think the producers that that's what they wanted, right? But I don't think it was ever really because they couldn't say that they couldn't say he's mm-hmm. a a gay man. Mm-hmm. That was a great show. Yeah, that was a really great show. But I don't, I don't think Tony. Randall was gay. I don't believe he was gay, but he always had that air about him. Sort of like Tony Perkins, who I do believe was gay. Tony Perkins was, if not gay, very bi, at least. At least. Yes, because he had a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but he, yeah, definitely was gay. And his wife had died in uh, 9-11. Oh, I didn't know his that. His widow died in 9-11. She was on one of the planes. No, I did not know that. Yeah. And their son... Uh, is a is a musician Elvis Perkins. Yes, he's and great. He's great. 
Um, I've actually seen him a bunch of, or kind of around, and um, I've seen him in uh, Austin at South by Southwest. Really? He's really cool. Very cool kind of, is cool. he sort of, ro- would you say rockabilly sort of a little bit? little rockabilly, a little bit like more like um, maybe Ryan Adams sort of Americana. Yeah, yeah. But he also looks very much like his father. Yeah. You know, he's really cool looking in that psycho mm-hmm. kind of way. <laughs> right, right. But um, I always thought as um, like sort of like, yeah, I thought always thought he was Anthony Perkins was gay. He did a um, uh, Elvis Perkins was on Letterman a few years ago. This was the first time I ever saw him, mm-hmm. and they did this the, one of his songs, and it was great because it started off with just him and his guitar, mm-hmm. and one by one the band came out mm. as the song progressed, and it, and it and they all picked up their instruments and played. It was a really great staging of it. Oh, that's great. Uh, was it, I think it was was it. I can't remember the song. It's the big song that he had to, to kick off with anyway, but it was really great. He's really cool. Um, yeah, he's a great musician. And, um, you know, uh, he just, he, it's just, a, it's, a, it's a cool personage, you know, somebody that comes from that kind of old Hollywood. Yeah. You yes. know, the kids of these people, you know. So I like think about him as the sort of, like I think about Sean Lennon, which mm-hmm. we were just up by um, Strawberry Fields and the Dakota Building. Yeah. Which was really cool, but there is an energy to Strawberry Fields that's kind of um, scary. Wasn't that weird today? Yeah, they, I, I really I like the place, but I wanted to get out of there. You know, there was a density and an electricity in the air that I always feel like I shouldn't. I don't want to be here right now. It's it's such a very serene place mm-hmm. uh, in that part of the park. It's very nice, but today it was it was taken over by a lot of tourists, which is mm-hmm. fine. They're going to be there. Yeah. There were people giving impromptu tours. Yeah. I don't think this was an official tour. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people who seemed to reside in that area of the park right. that were yelling out. And I don't know if they were just yelling out because that was a, a, a response that they had mm-hmm. to what was going on. or they were, But some guy kept yelling out, shut up. Yeah. Shut up. But really loud. Right. But it was timed. Like he, that's just what he was going to say that day. Shut up. Shut up. And nobody knows who he was telling to shut up. But the I, tour guide... Know. He was the most annoying. He was like, he was like, yeah, d- d- Julian Lennon does not live in the Dakota. He lives in Liverpool and L.A. <laughs> it was, the Dakota is right up there on Central Park West in 72nd, home of Yoko Ono. Uh, Sean <laughs> Lennon lives downtown. Julian, it's like he's given everybody's uh, uh, Address. know, locations, addresses. Paul McCartney lives in London somewhere in part-time in Scotland. <laughs> and I live right there. I think it was just, okay, that's enough, man. Yeah, it was really, it was weird. And then there was like a lot of offerings on the Strawberry Fields mosaic. Yes, people just leave stuff on there. An apple and glasses. And they sort of iconic beetles yeah, There was things. a yellow submarine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, people like bring. It's like it, it's it was it is a shrine, but yes. it's kind of weird that people bring a bunch of bunch of stuff to leave there. Right, right. I mean, and you know, the, one time I was at the Beatles Museum, and um, they have a re- uh, replica of the White Room with the white piano. Oh, really? And um, it's compl- it's a, it's pretty stunning because it's a completely white room with a white carpet, and the only thing I looked down, and it's sort of uh, sort of like cordoned off and then you look down and on the ground i saw uh a rolled up band-aid that's fallen off somebody's finger with blood on the bandage part <laughs> you know blood on the gauzy part it had fall so imagine um some healing of a cut yes you read into it the deeper meaning of there was healing going on imagine there's no wound anymore and so the bandage has fallen off 
<laughs> but somebody had obviously leaned over uh, and like just you know was into the exhibit and then the, the bandage just fell off their finger and it was still like in a ring like a band-aid uh, ring and the blood had yellowed and browned yeah um and uh you know it was just dirty but it was the only thing marring the whiteness of the piano in the room do you think, could you have a fully white room in a place? It would be impossible to keep no. clean, right? I'm so filthy all the time. Like, I'm just the most filthy person, so I doubt I could keep anything clean like that. I, I, I always sort of looked at John and Yoko as being kind of, the sort of a dirty type of people. Yeah, it's like, just, well, yeah, not like... Um, not dirty, but a lot well, of stuff. But, yeah, but they, they, live, they live in it. Yeah. It's not going to be a lot of, like, um, you know, how, how tough would that be? Like, yeah, you know... Be sure you take your shoes off before you come in this room here. You know, oh, they, 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 this is my white room. My white room. <laughs> this is my white room, love. My white oh, room. fucking left a Band-Aid on the floor. <laughs> Check your hands before you leave, you, you wankers. But I mean, it's so, it's so like, everything was so perfect and white, and then there was a Band-Aid. <laughs> you know, like bloody Band-Aid. It was a statement. Yeah. It was art. It was art. Or it was just... How does your Band-Aid fall off, anyway? How um, loose, how low are you? You know, we talked uh, yesterday about saggy pants. Right. Saggy Band-Aid. Saggy Band-Aid. That needs to be stopped as well. Tighten that shit up or just, or just, just free finger it. <laughs> free finger. Just free finger it. Just let your cut dry. Yeah. In let's the not, air. Let's not let the air heal it. Because if you're leaving a bloody Band-Aid, you know, the Beatles Museum, that's pretty disgusting. Ugh. But the Beatles Museum is cool, and Liverpool itself is cool. Have you been to Liverpool? I've never been to Liverpool. It's cool. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the whole town, I think, is really so proud of um, the Beatles um, mm. and also their Mersey, Merseyside sound, the Mersey beat. Yeah. So they love, well, they're like music history. It's a pretty depressed area. I think there's yeah. a lot of, um, you know, there, there's a lot of, you know, like poverty and, you know, in a lot of like the north of England, there's a lot of hardship, but... You know, they have rock and roll, which is cool. Right. And they're cool accents. Have you done anything else up there? Because they got all the tour. You can tour John Lennon's house, the one where he lived with his auntie Mimi. No, no, I didn't get to That's go there. That's a tour. Some people reported being on that tour a couple of years ago. I think you show up in a little little van mm-hmm. and you go into the house and there was a weird guy in the back, in mm-hmm. the back of the van. Mm-hmm. And he got out at the end and he went to the house and didn't really speak to anyone. Uh-huh. And it was Bob Dylan. Like he took the tour. That's weird. That's cool. He didn't like call ahead and arrange. Yeah. To go look, he just like you know, I'll just get a ticket and. and That's go in. great. That's great. Of course he's gonna do that. Yeah. He doesn't seem the type to be like make a big deal. Yeah. He's just gonna go and be cool. Yeah, but I love that he's just not taking a tour. Mm-hmm. Taking a taking a little you know bit, bit of sightseeing. Yes. Well, we had our our bit of sightseeing today. Like Bob Dylan, we went up there. Uh, we walked down, we came back down. Um, we had kind of a full day. Uh, I, I got up really early this morning. I did a bunch of uh, phoners. I did one for, with Man Cow. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> do you remember Man Cow? Yes, I do. Yes. He was a comic. Was he? Okay. He, he was a and comic. Did he live in San Francisco at mm-hmm. some point? Because he was Cause a DJ for Camel. Some people were telling me about him. I, I mean, I definitely know who he is. Uh, I was doing a gig last week and some, some people were talking about him. There was somebody from Chicago and I, that's where he's based right mm-hmm. now. And they were talking about how when he was in San Francisco, he did some stunt that shut down the Bay Bridge. Oh, oh. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. I can't even tell you what it was, but he did something uh, on air that got the Bay Bridge to be closed down. Oh, that's incredible. And I think that's when he got kicked out of San Francisco. Yeah. 
That's cool, though. That's pretty. I can't tell you amazing. what it was. Maybe we can look it up and yeah, I can't remember and, and, and see. But uh, yeah, so I did that in the morning, and Craig Shoemaker was on the show. I talked to him. Oh yeah, on his show, and then, um, but I did a you know big round of radio interviews at like from six six or seven in the morning on, and then we went down to uh, Brooklyn, and uh, we did a thing for Clayton Cubitt who is a really, really awesome director, artist, videographer, uh, sort of just amazing stuff. And um, so we did something kind of interesting. I I don't know exactly if it's sexual. It oddly didn't feel sexual, even though it was a vibrator on my person while I was reading erotica, but it did not feel sexual to me. No. Even though I did have an orgasm of sorts, I think... Yeah, so you told me what was going on because you you'd been you'd been in touch with Clayton mm-hmm. over a video that he had directed, which I really loved. Uh, Nikki to be, who um, it did a great song called Go Loco, and Clayton did the most amazing video for it. Really, yeah. one of the most av- amazing videos I've seen, um, and it really captures bounce and you know it's got this look to it that's totally original and new, and you know it, it's also that you hear this the sound of the song it just really shakes you up which is so cool. And it's like such a great, um, I don't know, it, it's just a great visual representation of bounce, yeah. sissy bounce. Yeah. Um, but, you know, so he was talking about me doing this thing where we go down and, you know, we, we're, where you're like reading erotica and then you have a vibrator on you, but the, the vibrator is being operated by his girlfriend, Katie, who's underneath a very heavy table and then she's got a soundproof um, sort of a pillow on her so you don't hear her right. or anything. And um, I don't know, did it, what did it look like? It just looked like it was a, a library? Well, you know, yeah, so you sit down at a desk, and he even said it's like uh, it's like a news presenter. Sit mm-hmm. up close like a news presenter. Because it, it really is, you know, this just in, mm-hmm. our top story. Mm-hmm. But you now are reading some form of literature that, that is going to stimulate you. Mm-hmm. And yet, like, just down below, there's somebody under a blanket. Because I didn't know. When you said, we were, you, you know, oh, we're going to go to Brooklyn, we're going to do this thing. Um, uh, his girlfriend's going to be using a vibrator on me and I'm reading and I was like yeah, yeah alright yeah okay yeah alright yeah. <laughs> oh that again with, what, with that thing but it was not um, a sexualized like it wasn't being on the set of a porn or anything like no, that no 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 any image you have of like there's going to be nudity in this it's very sort of functional kind of like it was like an experiment almost mm-hmm. that was that's basically his ideas to yeah. uh it's a it's a series that he has ongoing it's very it's more for the art than any kind of sexual sort of thing right where women are reading their choice of whatever is interesting to them mm-hmm. and then the vibrator can be operated by i i guess any other person they're choosing but it it's usually his his girlfriend that does it, right? But it's almost like she's down there just doing a job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not like oh yeah, my girlfriend's gonna use the vibrator on you. Yeah, no, it? But it's just like all right, she's down there under a blanket for the soundproof, right? And but what did it feel like? Did it feel well, pleasurable? N- yeah, of course. I guess I don't know. I mean, <laughs> your body sort of reacts to that kind of stuff, no matter what, right? You know, and I felt very like safe and like. Like, this is okay, this is fine, you know. And also, what was weird, too, is it didn't feel like there was a person under there. Because she was, yeah. like, so covered in this blanket, and you couldn't hear a person or feel or sense a person there. It was sort of so, like a, a Muppet. 
Yeah. It was like a snuffleupagus was <laughs> was giving <laughs> giving you some kind of pleasure. It's yeah. funny though, because well, to to jump backwards to yesterday when we were out and about and we had your crew with you, hair and makeup mm-hmm, guys, who are the, mm-hmm. the great guys, yeah. uh, Fabian so and Leo. Uh-huh. We just happened to be uh, have some time uh, in between one of your interviews and right next door is the Museum of Sex. Right. And so we we were we were outside there for a minute talking and then I went in with, with Fabian and Leo and there was a uh, an art piece of a bicycle connected to another bicycle and the chain drove a stick that had a dildo on it mm-hmm. that went back and forth. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, um, and, and so, so Leo got on and rode the bike and he was, you know, he'll give Lance Armstrong a run for his money. Yeah. I can tell you that. Yeah. And Fabian actually went up and bent forward yeah. in front of it and they asked him to stop, you don't, not yeah. stop riding the bike, but, but, uh, Fabian was, uh, was, uh, uh, bringing shame upon the Museum of Sex. That was improper. That, so we found their boundary. That was improper, actually taking it from the dildo. On, <laughs> yeah. It couldn't actually be fucking anything. No, that or even simulating. Much. But that's that's almost like when you say it didn't even feel like a person, mm-hmm. it could have been that bike. It could have been that bike. In some, in some instance or, or very much uh, uh, anything, just sort of holding it there. Mm-hmm. But... That's the thing. I didn't know whether there was going to be clothes involved or whatever, but mm-hmm. it's just, is it different though with, with, with when you've got trousers on? Yeah. Yeah. It or definitely, leggings, it definitely felt, felt different with trousers on, but at the same time also it's the, the, what the most importantly, I guess the mo- most important difference for me was seated because I never have sex seated. Yeah, sitting down reading is kind of like, is that the, the most sexual position? I don't think so because you're seated. So you're kind of. It's so not sexual, I think, when you're seated, because yeah. there's something that sort of, it's almost like if, you're, if your body's like a switchblade or something, yeah. it's a, sort of closed up at that point. So you're not really, you, you kind of don't, I don't know, I, for me, like, I really, I, and I had never even thought about that, like, how different your sexual response is when you're, the positions your body is right. in. Um, so it's a very um, non-sexual position to be in. Yeah. Seated, and kind of also this weird... Um, blanket and then this strange thing and then the lights and the cameras so like it's a very yeah not a sexy situation and then you have to read yes you have to read the passages from whatever you you brought your kindle i brought my kindle which is interesting because i guess no more sticky pages right (laughs) Just a sticky screen, maybe. Just really sticky, but it wipes off. It wipes off. It wipes down. I just felt like, oh, you know what? I'm going to look really old with my Kindle. Because that's what the old people really love is a Kindle. That's the oh, one, yeah. you know, electronic device that they really go crazy you for. You should have had an iPad mini. <laughs> or, I think it would be great if you just had a scroll, mm. reading some scroll. But that's what we were asking. I mean, you know, because you want to make jokes. But, I mean, how far... Um, they said some people, one person lasted two minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some, well, they said one person went 11 minutes or yeah. 17 minutes. That's a long time. I mean, and I asked, like, does anybody get to like, to the, about the author section <laughs> at the end of the, like the, the index. The index, reading the footnotes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like. Glossary of terms. Yeah, what, yeah, exactly. Like, it's so funny. Like, it's like, what do, what do people get to? And it's so, I mean, it, it, I don't know how sexual. It is. I mean, I think if somebody's doing it that fast, they want to get out quickly. Right. 
It was an interesting thing. It wasn't exactly sexual, but it was pretty intense nonetheless. So here's our wonderful conversation with Clayton Cubitt. Hi, I'm Margaret Cho. I am, I am here. Um, well, we're here with uh, with my wonderful co-host. Hi, I'm Jim. <laughs> Jim, I'm Jim a little, Short. Jim, a little frazzled. Did something kind of pretty amazing in there. But we're here in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, as is our New York Stories edition, and um, we're with the Monsters of Talk with the, with New York and and with Clayton Cubitt here. Hello, hello, now, and Margaret. Thank you so much. Uh, Clayton is a, a tremendous director, artist, photographer, uh, so many different things, and and um, also kind of a social provocateur. I do like to I like to push buttons. Yeah. So we just did this experiment. Now it's it's um. It's, it's, it's sort of an experiment, but it is actually, but it happens, so it's not really experiment. What, I don't know. What, what would you say it is? Experiments happen. Yeah. Experiments. It's a, it's a portrait series. It's called Hysterical Literature. It's a video portrait series that's an extension of some earlier projects I was working on that based themselves on distraction portraiture. Uh, I do experiments where I try to take people out of their day-to-day poses for portraits and for Mm self-presentation and uh previously i've done projects called long portraits where it was just about a subject staring into the camera for four or five minutes Mm -hmm. uh very similar to um andy warhol's screen tests from the 60s right then i did um um, a series of videos with models where i had called them hitachi magic interviews and i would actually Mm -hmm. try to ask them questions about their personal life and their childhood while they were being vibrated (laughs) But that felt too in, like too much like an interrogation. Oh, okay. And I kind of wanted it to be about them rather than my interjections. Right. So I wanted it to be more about them and their personality and their mm-hmm. own control over their uh, how they wanted to present themselves for a portrait. Mm-hmm. So I stumbled upon the idea. It just seemed logical in afterthought. But at the time, I thought it would be great to just have them choose whatever literature they wanted to read. We'd mm-hmm. continue the vibrating distraction and then see what happened. Yeah. Well, I, what I love about the series is that, you know, it, it is, um, it's pretty intense because you, you know, the, the, what, what's great is that the women look so beautiful. You know, that, that when you watch the women do this, they look so lovely and so sexy and it's like sweaty, but it's also kind of, it's not objectifying them, you know, because it's all kind of internal, like it's happening inside them and, um, they're all really different, you know, it all sort of shows their personality. And I think, well, mine, I just felt like I was just scre- obviously like I'm screaming the whole time. I just felt so like it's like this was really funny. Like this was real so but funny. Well, that's part of the for me at least that's part of the 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 pun in the the title. The title refers to the the quack Victorian medical treatments for female hysteria. This this idea that the female uh, orgasm was uh in some ways, um, a, a medicalized, um, almost quasi shameful, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. presence. And, and the idea was that women who were rebellious, who were acting out of uh, turn would be sent to doctors for, uh, what were called hysterical paroxysms, which were basically just a medical term for, uh, mm-hmm. vibrating or hydrotherapy massage, uh, mm-hmm. to produce an orgasm. And so, I like taking that and then also the pun on it being that these are just really funny to watch. They're just funny to experience. They're mm-hmm. funny to watch. The whole thing is just so contrived that it becomes 
historical on multiple levels. Were you you were um, wondering what your reaction would be? Like you said, even coming over here, like you're approaching it like MythBusters to see yeah. if you could even do it. <laughs> If you could, if you could yeah. um, even make it happen, yeah, were you surprised? I was surprised because I just didn't think that I could let go enough to have any kind of real physical response. Because to me, this seems like, well, I don't know, like I, 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 I believe in it, and I, I, I really think it's really cool, and I like the way that it looks, but I'm not sure if I'm going to feel that thing that these women are feeling, just because it's even hard for me to get there in life, you know, without. Um, cameras uh, without you know uh, sort of distractions or lights or anything so it's it's hard it's a hard place for me to get anyway but um you know in 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 that setting it just is so i don't know it was just really exhilarating and funny and fun (laughs) but like kind of like i was on a ride but i felt like i needed a seatbelt a little bit (laughs) i'll I'll make a note uh, for future sessions to install a seatbelt but that's part of the the purpose for me too is that is that um that battle like I like to see in the session what's interesting for me it's also an experiment like I don't know how it's going to be and what, how people are going to react and I only do one take and I only do one session I don't do do-overs mm-hmm. so it's about that it's about that battle between the mind and the body and between um, the face that the sitter thinks that they need to put forward for the public and for the camera mm-hmm. and then the one that that presents itself when they become too distracted by what's happening to right. do that that's that moment when it feels real to me. Whatever that is, is legitimate. Mm-hmm. But that's got to get there. Yeah. Because I felt like a couple of times I wanted to just give up. Like I had like sort of put the book down and I'm like, and then I go, no, 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 I have to. And then I was mad at myself because also like, this book is not hot. Like, <laughs> it's like, <laughs> this book is not hot. I don't know what I'm. That is the thing. You leave it up to the subject to bring their own literature in. Yeah. it's up, Everything's up to the subject except for the experiment. Uh, itself, so like the lighting and the the table and right. the the conceit is all pre decided, but then the subject decides how she's going to present herself, how she's going to dress, what she's going to read. All of that's a reflection of what what they choose. And how did you choose that that piece? Um, I just remembered that I I remembered that was like the only piece of erotic literature that I could uh, think of. You know, and then I, I didn't, I didn't have a reference. I just didn't, I don't know. Like I just had no, no really understanding of like what I, well, maybe I could do this. I don't, I don't know. I didn't, you know, I didn't have like a lot of sort of things to decide over because I didn't mm-hmm. know. Did you feel that you were, that you, that you needed to pick something that was erotic based on the experiment? Yeah. But all, either erotic or somehow physical, somehow that had to do with the body, that had to do with something like, Maybe um, something that was also sort of dreamlike, um, but uh, I just also kind of didn't know, you know, what else to what else right. to choose, and that was like the one thing that I thought, oh, I'll do that. We've had uh, everything from from Walt Whitman to uh, textbooks on fungus, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so it's been quite an interesting range <laughs> mm-hmm. of uh, choices, and mm-hmm. it's kind of that's one of the things that I find fascinating about it is. is why do people choose a certain thing over something else? Yeah. Like, why do you feel like you gravitated towards things that were erotica or physicality? Well, I think with this with this case, it was like, I remembered that this book was um, in, uh, like, they had, like, these, like, uh, really intense, like, those boxes where it came in, like, this these, these um, 
when you have like the paperbacks that come in like a box and then it's sort of like displayed and and it, there was something about it that I remember it being very like oh this is a big deal this is really like you know it's not truly tasteless jokes five or whatever this is like this is a book <laughs> was this what time of, what time of your life was this I think this was probably um, in uh, maybe when I was in my early twenties or late teens and I also remember I used to work at a store called Stormy Leather that was an S and M store. And this was one of the books that they had in there. Like they had books, bookshelves, and that, and that, that was one of the books they had in there. And so then I just identified in my mind, oh, that's erotic literature. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay, well, that that's the one that I'm going to use because this is what I, I need to. But um, maybe um, it, then it, then it was like I, I wasn't sure if um, I, yeah, I wasn't sure like what like reading would get me off. But then I wasn't sure if that was part of it necessarily so it's not necessarily part of it it's just sort of whatever the reader chooses yeah well like uh, the part of it for me is the division too. the tabletop is the division line between the the public persona and what's considered kind of legitimate so it's like the the, the formal portrait face and the literature and then under the table is like the the sexuality, the the messiness of all of that, the kind of primal human nature, the body. Mm-hmm. It's all these things that are kind of hidden from not only society, but almost in some ways hidden from ourselves. We don't think about it that much in an analytical sense. Mm-hmm. It just happens and it's part of our urge. And so I like kind of using the tabletop as the dividing line between, mm-hmm. between those two areas and then seeing a tug of war that happens between the seen and the unseen. Right, right. It's pretty intense. Like it's like... The, then you have like the, this very heavy table, and then you have, um, you know, this kind of big um, s- sound muffling thing, and then then there's this, like giant vibrators in there, and it's like so funny because then there's a person, and then <laughs> Oper- operating the machinery, right? What what you said when when she sat there like sit up like a like a news presenter almost. Right. Yeah, like, I'll never be able to watch the news again <laughs> without wondering, like, okay, I wonder how far they're going to get. Somebody yeah. should read some news. Or That's note, a good idea. Note to CNN that might increase their ratings. It might do it. It might. Do it. This just in. Yeah. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> that'll. Uh, that'll. Uh, That's Anderson Cooper three sixty right there. Oh yeah. It's so. That's so funny. But Anderson it's Cooper sixty nine. Yeah, Anderson Cooper sixty nine. Three sixty nine. Three sixty nine, honey. And how did you feel like there have been, um, I've noticed at least in, in some press about the project, um, there's this, many people think that it's a feminist project because it's not objectifying uh, and the women are allowed to choose their own subject matter and it's about that empowerment. And then other people say that it actually is quasi-sexist or objectifying because it's being uh, created by a man. Did you feel that that was a factor at all? No, I didn't. I didn't feel like it was objectifying. I thought it was really the opposite because, really, um, so much about objectifying women is not about the female orgasm, and it's not about women's pleasure. And this is really about um, kind of just uh, taking um, the realm of orgasm outside of like porn and you know the sort of the fake stuff that you see. Um, and bringing it into what is about, what is about sort of the, the real sense of like, how would, what does it mean to actually let go? And what does it mean to, um, give into sensation and, and stuff like that? So I think it's really, you know, the opposite of objectification, I think. I mean, I, I, I sort of felt like it was not objectifying in any way, but I think whenever women are sexualized or, 
you introduce the subject of women and sex, no matter what, um, there is going to be that sort of opposition because any kind of women's sexuality is considered uh, objectification. Do you feel that uh, female sexuality is still politicized? Do you feel oh, like yeah. we've ha- like how much do you think we've made for strides uh, strides um, as a culture past like the Victorian era? I don't think we've made a lot of strides, and I think that we are really still struggling with a lot of sexism that's very internal and very um, difficult to navigate because there's this idea that sexism doesn't exist or that feminism somehow overpowers it. And feminism is strong, but it, it's still there's still a lot to do. And I think projects like this are really interesting because you're you're really talking about what is real and what is sexual for women, not what is perceived to be, not what is about the the uh, the viewer's gaze what's happening from within so it's much more powerful and deeper than even that conversation about objectification you know it's like maybe like it's more about where we're actually paying attention to orgasm more than a man's orgasm you know it's like using female orgasm not only to not to satisfy a man but to satisfy ourselves it's a, that's very revolutionary do you feel like the project would be the same if there were men reading I think it's different. I think that male orgasm is such a mechanical uh, sort of a truth and a, a sort of a reality that is, it's it's sort of a piston. The, so you don't have the same kind of murky mystery that you have with female orgasm. Male orgasm, in a sense, is such a, uh, it, it's, such, it, it's so defined and codified so that, um, and, and women's is not yet. You know, so it's the, the, the map is on, you know, so it's, not, it's nobody's like made the map yet. So it's a very, I know, and it's, it's a hard place to navigate. And I think it's a real mystery. So, I mean, I don't know. Have you thought about doing it with men? Well, I've definitely been asked a lot about that. And it doesn't have the same conceptual underpinnings historically for me. And that's mm-hmm. why I haven't. Um, it would be entertaining. It wouldn't necessarily be the same art. And in some cases, in some ways, deeply for this, I came at it from an art um, perspective rather than from a, what's what's just going to be internet entertaining. The mm-hmm. fact that it went viral and it became entertaining on the internet was almost uh, unrelated to the, my motivations in doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times when I get these press inquiries uh, in interviews, one of the most commonly asked ones is, why aren't you doing it with men? It's because there's not this historical connection uh, in our culture to shaming men for their pleasure. It's right. considered the default in some ways, and female pleasure is either shameful or it's not even thought about. Right. Um, or it's presented in the in the context of it being as a side effect of the man's conquest. Mm-hmm. So, the, so the female pleasure becomes the man being like, I conquered her and made her come. And so this is, uh, in some ways, about trying to separate that as much as possible and then also examining what's still the same about it in our mm-hmm. modern culture and about how the media responds to it. Yeah. Whether or not they come at it like, uh, you know, snickering and nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you know, <laughs> and whether they focus just on the orgasm aspect or whether they're about understanding the whole context of the process. Yeah. Well, I really understand. And, I think it's cool. and in some way, it also promotes reading. <laughs> Because I, reading is fundamental. It is. It is fundamental. It's funny, though. I mean, because um, the author of the book that was read in the first session, um, Supervert, he wrote a book that was about uh, and around the politics and and culture of necrophilia. Um, he actually emailed me recently to say that we uh, sold out the entire first edition. Wow. What? So 
it is actually it is also that is but it is that kind of I was being silly literature. but it is kind of cool because I mean you know it's it's great to to have the literature involved in it and I love that that's what I was wondering whether or not you said bring something of a specific nature but you just leave it completely up to yeah, each person bring what you want my only requirements for the reading is that the the text that they that the subject chooses be personally relevant to them in some way and uh, that it's long enough to read from so that no haiku or you know something that's yeah. like Ooh. done it's got to be and even in the case of like one of the girls read walt whitman she read through several like chapters she it, hers went to like 11 and a half minutes or something like that so it wasn't just one segment it was you know for the entire duration of how long it lasts yeah i kept mine to a tight five like i was doing the tonight show <laughs> yeah you know like really just a tight just a tight five yeah you don't want to you don't want you don't want to get the sandman you don't want sandman coming well, out yeah <laughs> You want, we want, you leave him wanting more, and we want more of Clayton Cubit. We want to uh, tweet you. Where can they tweet you? Where can people tweet? Clayton Cubit, C L A Y T O N C U B I T T. I use the same name for everything. And um, also, uh, yeah, so like uh, Facebook and. Don't really care about Facebook so much, but I'm on Twitter, Instagram. I got my own website. I've got a Tumblr. Mm-hmm. My website connects to all of them. So oh, ClaytonCubit.com. And that's where all, all, all this series is posted. Is that where they can find it? Yeah, there's a subsection on my home site that has them. And I'm in the process of building a dedicated site, which will live at HystericalLiterature.com. And people should check out your other work, especially my favorite, uh, Nikki DeBee's Go Loco. Greatest video I've ever seen in my life. Different project, but uh, yeah, that's representing my hometown, New Orleans, bounce, hip hop. It, it, I think we definitely set, have to contact Guinness because I think we have the most instances of ass in any one hip hop video ever. It's the most asses I, I think anybody's ever put into anything. Really? I think so. And did you shoot? You shot that here, right? We shot that in and around here, yeah. How did you get all that ass in there? You'd be amazed at how much ass you can fit into Brooklyn. <laughs> and how much is here already? Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, it, it's you homegrown just ass. Tune yourself to ass in order to find out that you're surrounded by it. But the way the fractal quality of it, and also the way that the the guy was dancing is like my favorite because it just it makes your body just go like that, yeah. you know. And they're dancing, and it's just so like you just lose yourself in it, and it's almost like a hypnotic state. It is, and that's the way the the New Orleans bounce shows are. It's really hard to show in a video, um, the feeling that you get when you're at a bounce show um i liken it to a hardcore punk show it's very Mm. they're very similar Mm -hmm. if you go to a punk show it's it's let's it's really not about the music it's not about the stage even it's not about the performer it's about the crowd it's about the mosh pit it's about that feeling of like sweaty i don't know it's just like a abandon and your body takes over and then you're in this mass and it's the same thing at a bounce show it's Mm. got a very similar vibe but it's like you know urban hip-hop uh, translation of that in a way yeah. and it's very like specific to New Orleans too yeah it really is yeah yeah I really love it I mean the, the bouncers that I've been to I was like so moved and you know it's just we've got to go we've got to we've got to interview Nikki to be but uh, yeah. we love Nikki talking to you we got to we got to have both you guys that'd be great yeah, what, what's, what's that song that so people can look it up go loco go loco go g-o-l-o-k-o go loco and it's uh yeah Nikki to be it's like what is it? How he says in the be there's a be there'll be a gay rapper out there. Yep. He's coming out. It's gonna be big and it's like I just was like so blown away. Yeah, so. it's part of a subgenre of bounce that's kind of not really used in New Orleans, but it's described outside of New Orleans as sissy bounce. Mm-hmm. It's a gay and sissy bounce. Gay and trans friendly rappers, Big Frida, Katie Red, Sissy Katie Red, Nobi. Yeah. yeah. Such great And Nikki DeBee is kinda of like the new up and coming generation. He's like the little wing. 
He's F. Like, well, maybe more like um, I don't. A, yeah, he's a Nicky Dibby. Yeah, he's a Nicky Dibby. He has his own thing. He's mm-hmm. his own yeah. thing. But yeah. we're, we're so grateful to you. Thank you so much, Clayton. Thank you, um, thank you uh, for our listeners. I'm Margaret Cho. Uh, you can tweet me at Margaret Cho. Where can they tweet you, Jim? At uh, Jimmy Shelter. You can tweet us at Monsters of Talk. You can uh, listen to us on SoundCloud.com every Monday at 9 a.m. Also, uh, download us on iTunes. Uh, we will talk to you next time.